So we're, we're going to spend the next 25 or 30 minutes looking at what the Bible says because we love the Bible because it tells us who God is and it tells us how he made this world, how he made us, how we can know him, how, how we can grow in likeness to him. Um, but we also know that it's sometimes hard to understand and you may have questions. And because we're broken and frail people, sometimes we struggle against what we hear. And if that's you, that's okay. Like, that's just part of the human experience. You're going to have questions. You're probably going to have doubts. And I know you're going to have struggles. And if, if that's you, let's talk. That's what our staff is here for. That's what our ministry team, our student leadership team is here for. So if your staff or one of the ministry team, why don't you go and put your hand up. Talk with any of us. We would love to walk with you through any question or, or issues you may be facing in regard to your faith. Well, let, let's jump right in. One of, the, one of the major themes of the Bible is that God is gathering a people for himself. God is gathering a people for himself. You, you can see this all the way back when God comes to Abraham and he starts with Abraham and the people of Israel. And then he expands to people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God has promised to do this. And y'all, he is doing this. And even when his people are unfaithful, God himself remains faithful. He will not abandon his people. He is with them. He cares for them. He delivers them from all the trials and temptations that this world would bring. And you see this over and over. And you're going to see it over and over as we walk through the book of Exodus this semester. Exodus is a sequel to the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. And Exodus picks up where Genesis leaves off. And there in Genesis chapter 12, I've already referred to it, God made a promise to Abraham to make a great people, that is, the Israelites or the Jews of the family of Abraham, and then to give them a land. And a few generations after Abraham, his descendants had to travel to Egypt because of a famine. And then, through some crazy circumstances, one of Abraham's great-grandsons, Joseph, had become a ruler in Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, open to Exodus chapter 1. If not, it'll be on the screen behind you. Exodus 1, we'll read the whole chapter, and then we'll come back and, and talk about some things uh, that jump out at us from this chapter. So here we are, God's Word, Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household. So these are now the sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, and Joseph was already in Egypt. So that, that's the one I was talking about that had become ruler there in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. 
Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Shifra and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. Midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. It is kind of funny. (laughs) So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I want to focus on three big ideas that that come at us from this chapter. First of all, God was at work. Second, God was at work through ordinary people. And, And then third, God was keeping a promise. God was at work. God was at work through ordinary people. And God was keeping a promise. God was at work. It's impossible to look at this chapter and not see God's hand at work. His fingerprints are all over this story, and it's going to continue as we walk through the book of Exodus. You're going to see God's hand all over the place. Look look even there at verse 5. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Remember how Joseph got to Egypt. His brothers sold him as a slave and he was taken off to Egypt. He was falsely accused there by his master and thrown into prison. He interpreted a dream of Pharaoh and then he was placed as the second in command of Egypt. You you couldn't write this script. But God can. And his hand was on Joseph the whole time. And so God had put Joseph there in Egypt. Look back at verses 7, 9, 12, 20. Against all odds and the best efforts of Pharaoh, who, by the way, was the most powerful man in the world, God multiplied the people of Israel and they grew even stronger. You see that? They went from 70 persons to a great multitude. So God's hand was on Israel. And God was at work not only through the happy circumstances, but also through the hard ones. Look there at verses 13 and 14. We see that Israel was treated ruthlessly. We're told that twice. And their lives were made bitter. 
They were slaves for 400 years. They were shackled, they were beaten, abused, torn from their families, and they were killed. But even in the hard, God was there. Joseph, who we mentioned a few moments ago, endured a hard road on the way to becoming a ruler in Egypt. He was hated and betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was accused of rape. And he spent years in an Egyptian prison. And when Joseph had the chance to confront his brothers who started it all, here's what he said. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. Even in the hard, Joseph saw God's hand in it all. Joseph saw that God was at work. So let me ask you this. What are you going through today? Or this week? Or this month? God is at work in the happy and the hard. Whatever it is you're going through, God is at work in your life. Do you believe this about God? I think we spend a lot of our lives like practical atheists, as if he's not there or he doesn't care or he doesn't exist. That's not what we see in Exodus 1, and that's not what we're going to see In the book of Exodus, God is not absent. He is not apathetic. He cares and he certainly isn't impotent. He is God Almighty. And there's nothing in your life and there's nothing in our world that is outside of God's command and control. God is at work in and through everyday circumstances to accomplish his good purposes. And y'all, He's at work in you. Whether you feel it or not. Whether you see it or not. To quote Romans 8, for those who love Him, God is at work for their good. He works all things together for good. For those who love Him. God was at work in His people here in Exodus. And He chose to work through ordinary people. God worked through ordinary people. Pharaoh could see the tide of power turning. The Israelites were were growing in number. And the more Pharaoh oppressed, the greater God's people grew. So Pharaoh moved from a strategy of, of making their lives bitter to a strategy of murder. He told two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, to kill all the Hebrew male babies. They wouldn't do it. Shifra and Pua wouldn't do it. And we're told in verse 17, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary courage from two ordinary women. We know their names. We know they were midwives, but we know nothing else about them. 
They had no superpowers. They had no super exalted positions. They were just faithful women, again, stealing from the text, who feared God. And God honored their faithfulness. And he used these ordinary women to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. And God's been doing that throughout all of human history. A few examples. God used a fearful Gideon and 300 men to defeat the vast Midianite army. In fact, when when Gideon thought he was going out against this army, he came out with 30,000, and God said, no, 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 that's too many. So he cut them down to 10,000, and God said, no, still too many. I want you going out with 300. God used a teenage Queen Esther to deliver his people from the death sentence that the king of Persia had declared. He used another 14-year-old Mary to carry his own son in her womb. He used a young and nameless boy who had five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 with 12 basketfuls left over. This is what God does. He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And you know what? Sometimes he uses the ordinary to do the ordinary. How God uses us is up to him. Our job is simply to be faithful in all that God has called us to do, and God decides how he's going to use that faithfulness. And did you see the key to their faithfulness? They feared God. God was supreme in their estimation. God was first in their affections. So they honored him and not Pharaoh. And because they feared God, They were set free from the fear of Pharaoh. What about you? You got any fears? What do those fears do to you? Fear of others' opinions? Fear of rejection? Fear of being exposed. Fear of the unknown. Fear of God. And by the way, I'm not talking about like being afraid of God. I'm talking like reverence, honor for God, seeing him for who he is and then living our lives out of that. That kind of reverence and awe and fear of God frees us from our fears and then sets us free to follow him, whatever God has for us. Faithfulness begins with fearing God, making him first in your mind and your heart. And then God uses that faithfulness of ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his good purposes. One last thing you need to see from this chapter is that God was keeping a promise. God was keeping a promise. Verse 7 says that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly 
They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Y'all, this is language from the very promise God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. God promised to multiply Abraham's family and to make them a great nation. And here in Exodus 1, God is keeping that promise. And God was also persevering or preserving his people. And this is huge because it's through this people that God had promised to send a savior. You see, if Pharaoh wins and God's people perish in Egypt, there will be no savior. But God did just the opposite. Not only did they not perish, they flourished and God delivered them. You see, Exodus 1 is the beginning of the end for Pharaoh. And it's the beginning of God delivering his people out of Egypt. And this whole Exodus story is a picture of what God has done for us. We should see what God has done for us as we walk through Exodus. One of my favorite preachers puts it this way, and it's kind of a long quote, so I've got it here. Israel's exodus out of Egypt foreshadows and pictures an infinitely greater deliverance which God is to accomplish through Jesus Christ who became Christ, our Passover, What he means by that is our sacrificial lamb. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us that we might be delivered out of a greater bondage than Egypt, that we might be purchased to be a people for God's own possession. It is a picture book of how God calls a people to himself and perseveres and persists with them, even in their disobedience, until he makes them a people who show forth his glory. Think about the parallels between Israel's story as they're being delivered out of Egypt and our story. Look look at what I've got here. So God takes Israel in bondage in Egypt for 400 years and he delivers them. We're going to see this as we get into later chapters in Exodus. He delivers them through the Red Sea. That's where we get Moses with the Israelites standing at the edge of the Red Sea and the seas part and they walk through on dry land. Y'all have heard this story, right? (laughs) Okay, good. Um, So God does that. He delivers them through the Red Sea. They get through and then they wander for 40 years in the wilderness because they're still struggling with their sin and idolatry. And so God has them wander for 40 years in the wilderness. But then God does what he said he would do and he delivers them into the promised land. Think about how that mirrors or how that parallels our story. We were in bondage to sin. Helpless and hopeless apart from the work of Christ. But then God did something about that. He sent his son Jesus to set us free. And we have this deliverance through the blood of Christ. So from bondage to deliverance through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And even though we know him, even though we've been saved, even though we've been delivered, you know what? We still struggle with sin. And so we've got our own wilderness wandering in this broken and fallen world, in these broken and fallen bodies. But you know what? That's not the end of the story. 
God will take us home. Do you see the parallels? We ought to look at what God's doing in Exodus and see our own story. We were in bondage to sin, but Jesus died on the cross to set us free from both the power and the penalty of sin. And we receive this by faith, by simply believing in him. We don't work for it. We don't earn it. It's the free gift of God's grace. Do you know that you're a sinner in need of a savior? And will you trust in Jesus as that Savior? He's our only hope for deliverance. Well, final thought. Consider the lavish love of God in all of this. God didn't have to do any of this. Consider his lavish love. He promised a Savior and he kept that promise. Even when we had turned our backs on him and rebelled against him, he kept that promise. He works in us and through us despite our foolishness and our frailties. He didn't have to do that. He sees us in our bondage and he saves us out of that bondage. He didn't have to do that. He's God and he cares for his people. He doesn't have to do that. And we're going to see these things over and over again as we go through Exodus. So for now, whatever's going on in your life right now, rest in those precious realities because he's the same God today that he was for his people then. He's the same God for his people now. This is really good news. Really good news. Rest in it. And as you go from this place, tell others about it. And then next week, bring others to come here. Father, thank you for what you have done for your people. God, thank you that you're at work in all things in our lives. For those who love you, for those who are called according to your purpose, thank you that you work all things together for good. God, I pray that we would rest in that and trust in that. Thank you, Lord, that you choose to use and you ordain to use ordinary people like we are to accomplish your purposes. God, I pray that we would marvel at that and worship you for that and give thanks to you and then be faithful to what you've called us to do and be here on this campus and in this world. And Lord, thank you that you are true to your promise to save a people and that you've never wavered from that. Whenever it looked bleakest for your people, Israel, you held true to your promise to send a Savior who would save his people from their sins. Thank you that we can know that salvation, and I pray that each one, each soul in this place tonight would know that salvation. Lord, work that faith into our hearts, and then, Lord, send us out in faith to love and bless this campus with the love of Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. As we sing our last song, we're going to like that.